Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Hello, warm welcome to everybody. Thank you very much for, for being here today. Uh, very important day for us, getting to open up a new collection of ideas as a faith family, uh, considering this broad theme of faith and work. Uh, for some of us in here, that probably sounds really exciting. That's uh, something we might have wondered about. Like, what does my Christianity, what does my journey with Jesus have to do with my everyday job? For others of us in here, for one reason or another, though, that might seem kind of foreign, even a bit unnecessary. There might even be a few among us today that might want to just flag up and say, hold on, let's, let's, let's get into the parables of Jesus. Like, let's, let's be sure we get to hear what Paul has to say today. Um, do we need to be trying to explain what Christianity has to do with everything else? Well, I would very warmly and clearly say, of course we do. Jesus changes everything. That's the number one core value of this church. And the fact that he changes everything, that means he changes everything, including the way we go at and we be about our jobs, our play, our rest, and everything else. Jesus changes everything. But let's be honest about the plain fact today. We know Jesus changes everything, but with the jobs that are represented here in this room, the different forms of work that we are about all around this space, it is oftentimes very difficult to understand how the gospel relates to everything else. I mean, sure, of course, there's some clear sins that we know we're in violation of, like the gospel makes it very clear, like, you know, when you're in the act of adultery, like, it's right there. You know, when you're committing the act of murder, you know, when the act of murder is being committed against you. Some of this stuff is very plain. But how about our work? The way we turn up at the office, the way we sit through meetings, the way we have hard conversations, the way we receive hard conversations, the way we act when all eyes are on us, and the way we act when no one knows what's really going on. What does Christianity have to say about all that? Well, there are a lot of questions we're going to ask and answer to get after that over the next couple of weeks. I hope you'll be able to receive this week and next week as a bit of a one-part and two-part introduction to the whole set of ideas, and then we'll be working through in just three weeks' time uh, the story of the Scriptures, creation, fall, redemption and new creation. And we will see together how God created us to be workers, but how all of us, man and woman alike, we are fallen in our calling. God has sent Jesus into the world to be the redeemer. We can work redemptively, but we're going to have to go at it a specific way. I want to conclude with a big vision of where all this is headed to. So Colossians gives us a wonderful place to start, and I just want to really summarize everything I intend to say in, in two very simple statements for you. Uh, number one, I intend to get across to you today this idea, your work matters to God. We're going to have to ask, ask the question, though, why? Like, why or how does my work matter to God? And yes, I do mean you. I'm not overlooking anyone today. I'm talking about speci the specific you and what you do. Secondly, 
I want to try to show you that God matters to your work. So number one, work matters to God. Number two, God matters to work. If there's a, if there's a question around this, though, one might even still be wondering, is this really, really necessary? I do want to say it's absolutely necessary because we, unless we understand how biblical Christianity integrates with our everyday jobs, then you and I will never be able to rest. Our rest is what's at stake here. The ability for our hearts to rest before God, knowing what he has done on the cross is enough and it's sufficient. And our ability to turn up at work, bring some of that work home, work on that a little more, and then eventually just detach from it and be able to rest. Your ability to rest is what's at stake across these next seven weeks. So this might be different for us. That's been, that's been said. You might come from a church tradition where work was largely ignored. Uh, maybe you were part of a church where the pastors, the elders, the leaders of the church, they just never cared to try to bring these ideas up and try to talk about them at all. Maybe you were part of something where uh, your, your former pastor, the former church community that you were part of, whenever they talked about work, it was just to encourage you to make money to give to the church. And that's as far as their imagination could take them. We want to go on a journey together, okay? Over the next seven weeks, all of us working together just to imagine what God, what might God want to say from his word to me, regardless of where I've been. There's an article that's fantastic. We'll try to find a way to even circulate it. Maybe we'll get it in the community group guide this next week. It's by Dorothy Sayers, uh, English professor and essayist. She wrote a, she wrote a, a paper, which is a conference message she first gave in Brighton and then over in Eastburn. It's called Why Work? And in there, uh, most of the men have been sent off to war. And she's writing as a professor, examining the situation, considering when everyone comes back and we get through this war, we need a different vision for work. She says the society as a whole and individuals in particular are dying because they do not have a revolutionary and biblical doctrine of work. She goes on to explain the modern, modern doctrine of work, and this is what most of us will feel. The modern doctrine of work is work, work is that what you do for a living. So I got to go somewhere, I got to perform some task or function or create some gidget so I can have a job, so I can make money. She says, no, 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 we need something far larger than that. She says, this is, uh, this is seen in the fact that doctors, they no longer envision their work in her day, how she's explaining this, doctors would no longer envision their work as, oh, well, I, I help people or I heal people. She was noticing a trend where doctors perform operations and doctors pay attention to what the insurers are saying and they work accordingly. She says we need a different vision. This is a slight modification on her definition from work. I'm just wondering if we can hold on to it a little bit today. Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of God and neighbor. I wonder if we can get around that as a definition for work today, maybe carry it with us in the next couple of weeks. That'll probably take some getting used to, though, depending on how we t typically understand our work. Maybe this is an idea. Work is a gracious expression of creative energy in service of God and neighbor. When you look at it in, in these terms, we see that um, there's an attitude of gratitude that's contained in this. 
We recognize that work is something very valuable. It matters to God. God has indeed ordained it, and God has a beautiful plan for it. So we're able to express this energy. Not just any any old energy, but the creative energy. I'm going to be leaning in and thinking about this. And I'm trying to do two things when I work. I'm trying to serve my God, and I'm trying to serve my neighbor. She would say there's a vision for work. I hope we could all appreciate how if we go with the definition somewhat this broad, how we can all be seen here. Because there's some of us here that are applying for jobs and we just don't have those paying jobs yet. There's some of us in here who are looking after kids or looking after family members full time. We've worked in the past. We have aspirations to work in the future, but we're just not in that station just yet. I hope we can all find ourselves here, right? Whether we have a, a, a occupation or a vocation where we're producing goods and services or whether we're just caring for people or whether we're in a bit of a waiting and holding zone. Work is work is those things where we're graciously giving of ourselves to serve God and to serve the people around us. What does the Bible have to say about that? That's a lot of intro. Here's the three ideas. Number one, work matters to God. My friends, I hope we can find today and in the next couple of days, the Christian faith offers to give your work a worth and a weight that can balance you. Martin Lloyd-Jones was the pastor of Westminster Chapel some years ago. He was a former medical doctor from um, right there in kind of the, the All Souls Parish just south of Regent's Park. And uh, for a lot of his family friends that he observed amongst his dad's mates, and he even knew of some of his own friends, he would talk about a lot of the medical men that he knew and how their tombstones would rightly read, born a man, died a doctor. What's he saying there? He's saying there's something about work for a lot of people where it just becomes their identity. And who they are, first and foremost, is their work. Understanding that your work matters to God has a way of coming in and infusing what you do with that 90% of your life for some of us with weight and worth where it actually becomes our identity. For some of us, we are performing the type of jobs or we're on the type of educational path because our parents kind of put us up to it to, to, to earn someone's love or affection or to prove someone wrong. We're pursuing the certain jobs we're pursuing. We're living in the places we're living. The problem there is that work, when done from that heart and done towards that ends, that work has a hold on us. The Bible offers us a way of envisioning work that has a weight and a worth that can stabilize us and balance us. I say this to you as a Christian pastor. What I do, this is a type of work. It's not the same as your type of work, but it's a type of work. Uh, I know from this type of work, so I could imagine for you and your type of work, um, if work becomes your identity, if you are nine to five or you're six to six for some of us, if that becomes your main thing, when you're successful, it will go to your head. And yet when you fail, it will go to your heart. And that's just a terrible way to have our identity put together. Again, the Bible offers us something different. It offers it in part from Colossians 1, 16 to 18. This vision, this vision that we could put before ourselves and our individual jobs, for in Him all things were created. This is where we're going to be in the next couple of weeks, considering from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 how our God is a worker. And He created you and I to be workers as well. We'll have plenty of time in the next couple of weeks to consider how when Jesus Christ came to this earth, Think about this. 
He did not come as some like traveling moral philosopher. He did not come as a military conquering general. He came as a humble carpenter. He came as a worker doing work. For in him, all things, even our jobs, the design for work was created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You can imagine everything that's happening right here just being about those two words, for him. We think about our jobs, we have to ask that question. Who's a lot of this for? Is this for me? Is this for my family? Is this for my retirement? Or is this for something greater? Work being something in service of God and in service of neighbor. So we as workers with our individual tasks, whether it's rearing children or managing people or a company, we hang verse 17 before our eyes. He is before all things. Jesus comes before this and in him all things hold together. So the only way for our work to have some sort of center of gravity to it is for Jesus to be incorporated into it. Otherwise, we're trying to do these jobs without Jesus, and it just feels like we're disintegrated and we're all over the place. Maybe you've ever felt like that. Maybe it could be that we're going through our jobs trying to do them without Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Well, this, of course, teaches the principle of preeminence. You see it all over Scripture. God is first. In the beginning was God. What this tells us right him here is he is the one doing all of the creating. God, it, God comes first. We also see that Jesus went first. When it came to us and our sin, Jesus didn't just sit back in a recliner in heaven just waiting on us to come to him. No, Jesus looks into the world. Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus goes on the gracious pursuit. Jesus went first. The logical implication of all of this is his, he and he alone. He deserves to be first in every part of our lives. In our relationships with people, in our friendships, in our marriage, in our parenting, Jesus first. Even in our jobs, Jesus first. Even when the money rolls in from that job, Jesus first. God comes first. Jesus went first. He deserves to be first. And again, a Christian vision of work will help us get after this because the Christian faith can give you a concept of the dignity and worth of all work, even simple work, without which you would be bored to death. Let me show you. Martin Luther would take up Psalm 147. If you even wanted to turn somewhere in your Bible, maybe you hop over to Psalm 147. Psalm 147 is this beautiful psalm that talks about what God is doing in the world. But when you read this psalm, what's amazing about it, it actually talks about what people are doing in the world as well. And we're all encouraged to worship God because of what God is doing and how he's working through the work that people are doing as well. Let me highlight two verses for you. Verses 13 and 14. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to you. He grants peace to your borders and he satisfies you with the finest of wheat. Martin Luther, the reformer uh, from the 15th century, he did something amazing with these verses. He highlights for us the different ways that God is infusing everyday work to actually run the world and take care of people. I mean, this, if, if you even let this in, 
It can give your vocation, the Christian vision can give your vocation such a deep, weighty ballast at the bottom of your life. When things go well this next week, it won't inflate you. When things go bad this week, it won't deflate you. Luther would say, in our work, these are the masks of God by which he's concealed and he wants to do things in the world. Think about it. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. Maybe in a couple of hours, somebody's going to have a piece of bread or a noodle of some sort, right? And you're like, where do we actually get this wheat from? How does God actually give me this wheat? Luther would come into this and help us see, well, look, it's whenever the farm girl milks it, whenever the farmer grows it, whenever the baker bakes it, whenever the transport driver moves it, whenever a person sells it, these are all the disguises of God. God's practically feeding you, but how is he feeding you? He's using everyday tasks, watch this, even some very menial tasks to feed his people. These are the disguises of God. God's loving you. God is distributing his grace to you. How? Well, through the work and the wisdom of everyday men and everyday women. Luther says God God could easily have given you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to. Neither does he want your plowing and planting alone to give you the grain and fruit. But you are to plow and plant and then ask for his blessing and pray. Now let God take over. Now grant grain and fruit, dear Lord. Our plowing and our planting will not do it. It is thy gift. Wonderful, beautiful vision for how to go at this. Um, If you're interested, this, this is all in his commentary notes. Uh, Luther's works, things like volume 20 on those commentary on Psalm 120. But, but think about it. What makes a city secure? God's sitting here and saying, I make your city secure. Like, how, how did God make a city secure? Like, whatever your particular block, is that God walking up and down the block at night? Like, God actually policing the borders of your street? God says, I make your bars strong. Who is it that makes that deadbolt and those locks on your home actually hold all night? Is that God sitting there holding your door shut? Or is God doing something? Well, think about it, my friends. What makes a city secure? Protection and security, it's a gift of God. But he's using the, he's using the police. He's using neighbors. He's using the people that make locks and the people who make doors and door hinges to hold it all together. It's our work, partnering with God's work. So can't you hear it, my friends, when you work, when you dig a ditch, when you build a bridge, when you're a good neighbor, when you vote, when you knock on your neighbor's door, when you're a kind and helpful person to the people around you, you're part of God's security for a community. You're part of God's way of caring for people. The, uh, the Jews had, uh, had a bit of a joke. They would say it's a bit of a curse. They would casually throw on people. Maybe you want to drop this off to somebody on the way home today. They would say, may God give you a bad neighbor, you know, because they believe this stuff so much. How is God taking care of me? God is taking care of me by putting Christians around me who are going to work together to look after me. As Luther would say, these, our jobs, these are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. As Luther's able to help us see, even through Psalm 148, just these two verses here, the masks of God. 
I tell you, the, the unexpected thing this allows for is this, this can massively increase our capacity for gratitude. Because then when we leave here in a bit, when we head off, maybe you need to stop by a shop tonight. And uh, when you have a piece of bread before you in a bit, you can be immensely grateful for all the different ways that God has provided for you. Psalm 148 says, well, he's providing for you through the person who grew that. He provided for you through the farmer who cut that. He provided for you through some people at a processing plant who brought it all together. He's provided for you by somebody having to drive it here on a lorry. He provided for you through a baker who put that together. He provided for you through a whole company that set the price for that. Provided for you through someone else who made sure the self-checkout was running smooth. Even the bag that it comes in. All these ways that God is caring for us and providing for us. All of our work then. These are the masks of God that he wears in the midst of our creation. And it's just naming the fact. We live in London. London values work. What kind of work? Well, London really clearly values the kind of work that's going to help protect money and make people money. London values the kind of work that's going to entertain people. We might find ourselves with a bit of a menial, a bit of a small job here in London. This vision of work, understanding that God, when you are faithfully and creatively energizing yourself in service of God and other people, God is inhabiting even that. You're wearing a, God is, you are God's mask in the world by which he's actually caring for people. Need to move on. Our work is God's way of caring for his creation. So does your work matter for God? Absolutely it does. There's no work that is menial. It leads us over to 1 Corinthians 3, 7, trying to squeeze this one in just a little bit. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. What a good verse just to see celebrating two years as a church and being able to understand all the ways that's even true right here. What is God saying to us here? Oh, the person who planted it in, is that something? Oh, the people who came along and nurtured it along, are they anything? No, nothing, nothing. It's only God who gives the growth to a thing. And so it is with your job. You will think, well, I'm just, I'm just standing in front of kids and I'm just trying to teach them. Yep, God is doing something in the whole matrix of their life experience. We'll think to ourselves, I'm, I'm literally just looking after the safeguarding for a community. Yep, and God is wearing that as a mask to pursue justice in a neighborhood and to take care of people. I'm just moving money around. How, how could God ever be in this? Well, this is the second thing. I want you to see also, dear friends, that God also matters to your work. And what we need to work out together, you can tell this is a bit of a proposal and a prospectus for us. What we need to work out together is a kingdom vision for our work. Because we're going to have to find a way of going at this that doesn't strike on the extremes. We're not after a vision of work that leads to triumphalism, which is some negative view of the world and negative view of society, that we're going to somehow Christianize these jobs and we're going to dominate some people. That is not what we're on for. But we also don't want the other extreme of this. We also don't want some vision of work that says, oh, well, that out there, that is so worldly. We have no idea how to interact with it. We have no idea how to touch it. So we're just going to like encourage you with the gospel. And then hopefully you can survive another five days until we can come back in here and encourage you again. We don't want that either. We need a kingdom vision for this. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom. The kingdom is the healing power of God in the world. And the kingdom is partly here, but it's not yet fully arrived. So the power of the kingdom is already present in you and you and you and you and all of us. 
This means in your job, in your vocation, you can pursue it with this kind of a mindset. I'm going to make society a better place, but it's not yet going to be a perfect society fully. So I can go, I can exert leverage from my little plot of this thing, trusting God to bring it through. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Again, this theme of gratitude and thanksgiving, it continues to come up as we make our way into this field called work. This says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Won't press this too much today, just trying to surface an idea for us to examine together. When it comes to our work, whose name is it often done in? And this is for, this is for all of us. I'd say it's probably for me before it's for you. With every sermon, who's that ser- whose name is that sermon delivered in? In every caring conversation, who's that caring conversation whose name is that delivered in? With every time we sit down at the desk and switch the computer on, in whose name are those next few hours conducted? I think we can find in the days ahead, so, so, so often what we, we actually miss in our work is we miss God because we're so focused on ourselves. We'll get there in time. Just, to, just a, a brief word, though, to say not every field is the same. Right, Artists and musicians, they're going to have to take this stuff on different than someone working on a line or responsible for baking bread. You think about, is there a Christian way to bake a, a, a muffin? I mean, I mean, no. I think, I think good muffins are made the same by Christians and by atheists, you know? There's like one way to bake good muffins, you know what I mean? Like not dry, that's what we're all going for, you know? You can adhere to whatever faith commitments you have. But watch this. So th- there's, there's not like a distinct way to be a Christian bread baker, kind of like there's certain rules that you're just going to have to do. Watch this, though. There are certain rules when it comes to being a Christian who runs a bakery. So I guess I'm going to have to make sure everybody gets fair wage in this. I need to make sure this is a safe environment for people to come into and go about their jobs. That It can be done in a Christian way or an unchristian way. Yeah? As they're following certain fixed rules just to work, I can think, like, how's this going to work? How am I going to manage a bakery as a Christian versus managing a bakery as an atheist? You can see where this is going to take us. So when you think about it, there's not really a Christian way to do some stuff. The way to do it is faithful. If you're a Christian airline pilot, then what are you to do? Are you just to like spend the whole flight, like spend all of takeoff, like walking up and down the aisles, just sharing the gospel with people? Oh no, you'd actually be a terrible airline pilot that's a Christian. The best way to be a Christian airline pilot is to get the plane off the ground, keep the plane in the sky, and land the plane where they tell you to. Is to, to do it in a resourceful way where the plane could be used again and again and again, in an excellent way where you might win a hearing amongst the people that you work around. You're a Christian train conductor. What's the best way to do it? Just leave that thing at top speed, you know, two, two miles from the station and just be sure you go evangelize your coworkers. Is that, is that how you're a Christian train conductor? But no, the best thing you can do is manage that train really, really well. Make sure it takes off from the platform at the right time. It lands at the next platform on time. What are you doing? You're doing all of that, not in service of self, not trying to hedge for your future. You're doing all of it betting on God. I love God. I receive this as a way where God is inhabiting me, the train conductor today. He's wearing a little mask. 
He's just looking after people, moving people around so they can hear the gospel when they get to whatever destination. People can be safe. This is God strengthening the bars of gates. This is God literally moving people around the world through humble little me, doing this thing. This really matters. So I want to say it, friends. Your work matters to God because it's the, it's the means by which God's grace comes to humanity. Indeed, His grace Part of your vocation, whatever your vocation is, the, Bible's gonna, the Bible tells us very, very clearly, God intends for us to be a nation of priests. <coughs> We're agents of reconciliation in every different sphere of society, in every little nook and cranny of life. As we're faithful with the jobs that he's given us, finding ways to open up those spaces of time, kind of get God into the conversation with folks. God matters to your work because it shapes your work, your motivations, and how you're going to deal with people. It matters a great deal for anybody who's responsible for someone else in this room. Your work really matters. Your work's going to shape the way that you, your faith is going to shape the way that you work. Your faith can motivate the way that you work. Your faith can come into this and your faith can shape the way you're going to deal with different people. So what does it mean to be a Christian? That's what we're going to be asking specifically with some different ideas. What does it mean to be a Christian hedge fund manager? This is a journey we need to start going on as a church. What does it mean to be a Christian visual artist? What separates a Christian visual artist from a, a, a Hindu Christian visual artist? What's the difference here? What, what, what is a Christian entrepreneur? What is a Christian student in university? What is a Christian mom reveal, raising up tots? What is a Christian HR manager? These are things that we need to start entering into. And here's what's beautiful about the journey that lies before us. Um, I don't have all these answers. The answers are here. They're before us. You could come to me. There's a few things I specialize in. There's a few texts I've read many times. There's a few things I've committed to memory. I can share with you a few stories, things from my very limited horizon from history. But how do we really get after this? It's going to be in our community groups as we sit together. It's going to be finding ways to bring this stuff up as we fellowship and we enjoy each other outside of this gathering and outside of our community groups. How's that going, being a nurse? What does it mean for your Christianity to really show up as you're a nurse? How's that going, being a Christian and a money manager? How do, you, how do you manage that? What are, what are the specific pitfalls and idols that you notice around you? And how do you stay clear of that? Tell me. Let's, let's interact. Let's engage. I hope we'll find in the days ahead we're indeed shepherding one another in all of this. Every week I want to bring you back to this point, so let me take you there for the first time. Resting in the work of Jesus Christ is the key to enjoying your work. Follow me here. The gospel reminds us that our primary identity is not found in job titles, primary identity not found in salaries, primary identity not found in achievements, but in our relationship with Jesus. So we can work and we can have joy and we can have purpose when we know the ultimate work that really, really matters is the work that Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. And when we need a, a vision for what it looks like to continue serving God and neighbor from a joyful heart when it feels like we're played out and spent out, we can remember Jesus. We can remember Jesus when we feel worn out. We can remember Jesus when we feel unappreciated. 
We can remember Jesus when we feel overwhelmed with our tasks. We can remember Jesus, who's a limitless pool of resource. We can continue to go to the well and draw from him and draw from him and draw from him. This is where Paul needed to encourage the people in Colossians chapter 3. So whatever you do, work with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters. But maybe some of our tiredness is that we've been going to our jobs and we have not been as if we're working for the Lord. We have been going to our jobs as if we're just working for some other human master. Remember the end of Ephesians 6? We were there just a couple of weeks ago doing all of this for God not by way of just eye-pleasing with other people. Can I just meet you in this? This is something that I feel as a Christian pastor, right? Organizing sermons in service of God, but not primarily in service of you, right? Maybe you feel your own unique ways in your job where you show up and maybe you're working for a human master and you need a paradigm shift today and in the next couple weeks. no working for the Lord, since that you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ Jesus. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, in all of our work, we're left doing the work under the work, even when we're not working. Lots of people are running around this town. Lots of people need the gracious offer of Jesus around us because They're not only working for a salary, as big as that salary might be. They're also working to chase away their sense of insignificance. People aren't only working to establish their name in the next headline or to establish their name as the next one that's going to get promoted. People are working to find some sort of identity that makes them feel worthwhile. And they need to know about a vision It comes from God. God created you from this. This isn't a rat race. This isn't evil. But when we don't have this, it's the difference in sleeping eight hours and feeling restless when you wake up in the morning and sleeping eight hours and you might might as well have been 10 or 12 for how refreshed you feel. Because there is a way of moving through our jobs where we're ultimately resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we know he loves me He is for me. The most important work that will ever be done is that work accomplished on the cross. So I can bring myself back to that. I can rest in that and I can receive afresh. I can look at him glorifying God and neighbor above himself. There's my picture. There's my capacity. There's my resource to have another go. And then we go on with our jobs, doing all of it in the name of Jesus, recognizing this is just a mask that he's wearing. And this is what's key. It's what's at stake. It's our ability to rest. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve said they wanted to live for themselves instead of God. They said they do the work of gardening on their own. What was the mark of that? The penalty for that? It was restlessness. That's what came into Adam and Eve in the Garden. God talks about bringing people back is always when God talks about bringing people back from exile, it is always to the tune of I will give you rest. What is that? Because being away in exile, being out of position, doing the wrong thing for the wrong motives, that is always a tiring posture. God's always saying, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to give you rest. Very humbly, when we start talking about work, Are you filled with peace and rest? Are you filled with something else this afternoon? Could be 
indicative of who we're actually doing this for. See, when work is the meaning of our lives, life will be exhausting. There will be a deep exhaustion on us that no amount of holidays could ever solve. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth who came as a worker and a wanderer. Going around this place, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. On the cross, he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did he get? He got the cosmic restlessness that we carry so we can have the peace that belongs to him. Hear this, my friends. Jesus has offered to take that exile that you're in. Jesus has offered to take the curse of the work that you're up against. Jesus has offered to take the penalty for every wrong turn. Jesus has offered to take the penalty for even sin so that when we believe in him, we get to receive his blessings without the work. Reed, come on up. We're going to have some t- a chance to respond to this. I want you to see this verse today. You're going to see it a lot. We do well to even memorize it in the days ahead. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Jesus looks at a whole group of people and he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He says, I will give you rest. The invitation from your Lord today, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus Christ, he calls people to himself. Jesus Christ knows that we are weary and he knows that we are burdened and he knows that we need rest. Think about his cure for the weariness. His cure for the weariness is indeed a burden, even a yoke. Jesus says that his burden and his yoke is the only one that is light. Some of us are going through our jobs, doing it in the name of self. We're trying to raise kids in our own name and for our own honor and glory. We're trying to push ourselves through university in our own name and for our own name, honor and glory. We're trying to manage money. We're trying to safeguard communities. We're trying to teach people in our own name, for our own glory, in our own strength. No wonder we have so much restlessness. Here's the offer of your God this afternoon. Verse 29, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. For every tired mom, this one is gentle and lowly in heart. For every stressed out employee, look at this one who is gentle and lowly in heart. He is the only boss who will not drive you into the ground. He is the only audience that does not demand your best performance. Why? Because his work on the cross was sufficient for you. And all that's left for you to do is to enjoy the rest that comes through his work. So a Christian is not just someone who admires Jesus. A Christian is someone who is resting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross instead of their own work. A Christian is someone who's able to go to work ultimately and over the course of time, learning to be normed and defined by their identity. I belong to Jesus. Now let's manage some money today. I belong to Jesus. Let me teach some folks now. I belong to Jesus. Let me raise up something from nothing. I belong to Jesus. Now let me navigate these tumultuous waters of being a nurse or a university student. This is what our hearts have been craving. We've indeed been crying out for this. Lord, I'm tired. And he says, here's Jesus. Come, drink, and be satisfied. 
You'll remember God was able to rest in Genesis chapter two from his creative work once it was finished. And a Christian is only able to rest when we come face to face with God's redemptive work. And we say, man, through the cross, you are enough. I don't know how all these bills are gonna get paid. I don't know how we're gonna get through this next month, but you are enough. And I'm gonna be named by this. And this is gonna be what I live for now. And we go, why work? Because Jesus has provided all the identity we need. And we're now free to work. We're free to go out there and graciously express ourselves in service of God and in service of other people. Why we work. And now some chance to, some time to be able to linger in the midst of this. We have some friends. They're gonna be right over here in ministry team. Maybe this has just pricked something in your heart today. You come, you just share what's going on. Let some people pray for you today. You don't have to sit there and just carry this for another week. Come and enjoy your burdens being taken off, taken over the work of Christ in its place. Come and receive prayer. And for all of us, having an opportunity to stand together and sing and pray, just some chance, an opportunity for us to linger in the midst of this. Let me invite you to pray. Uh, stand to your feet, then I'll pray. Go ahead, stand to your feet. Let me pray this in for us. Oh, our Father in heaven, here we are. A bunch of weary workers today, God. And we need that refreshment that comes from you. God, I pray that you'll start a work in this room today where you'll, you'll cause that course adjustment to come into this room. For all those times we have shown up and we have punched the clock and we have rolled out of bed, bed in the morning, doing things from our own strength instead of depending on your strength. God, forgive us. We repent as a church today. God, for all those times we've tried to hold up our name and hold up our banner instead of coming under your name and coming under your banner, God, forgive us as a church today. God, give us the, give us the answer to that question. Why work? Help us to receive the finished work of Jesus Christ afresh today. Infuse our everyday jobs with meaning and significance so we know that they matter. They matter to you and they matter to the neighbors around us. God, you be the one to set the tone. You be the one to speak the identity. Hear our prayers, hear our song, receive us as we linger with you now. In Jesus' name, amen.